Hello and welcome to another podtacular episode of the Dave Weekly. I'm Ben Shires and you, well, you are just swell for listening. By swell, I don't mean you've put on any weight. If anything, you sound slimmer. You obviously went easy on the barbecues this summer. That shows great resolve. Well done, you. I, on the other hand, spent my summer avoiding the sun's unforgiving rays on my porcelain Yorkshire skin and also taking a visit round some of Britain's great historical sites, including Hadrian's Wall and Edinburgh Castle. And I discovered that if there's a certain type of castle I particularly like, it's a Mott and Bailey, which is a highly roundabout way of introducing today's illustrious first guest, the man who's been described in a recent Saga article as having a startled affable demeanour and also someone who hasn't exactly been at the forefront of television but what do they know he has described himself as part troll which sounds to me a lot more accurate it's the inimitable qualm peddler himself bill bailey and he's joined by someone whose name well i just can't really tenuously link it to any stronghold or fortification but who may have turret syndrome come on it's andrew lawrence Hello, Bill Bailey. Welcome to the Dave Weekly. Hello there, and uh, <laughs> great to be here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've already had a full start, but that, if anything, has just set us up for a, oh. a more interesting chat. I yeah, feel exactly because we've done the pleasantries now. We've it's done all the formalities. Out of the way. Let's get down to business. Exactly. Brass tax. Business is what we're here for. Come on. Uh, so, I mean, this is this is ostensibly our first meeting. Yes. Although, as I'm sure you're aware. We were once eating in the same Chinese restaurant two years ago. Ooh, uh, I was not aware of that fact. Oh, but, uh, which just restaurant? Just pull this dagger out of my. Was front. it? And then I might be able to uh, zone in on it that was, particular uh, area of my memory. It's one in Chinatown, and yes. uh, it's I think it's called Leong's Legends Two, oh. which is one of the few Chinese restaurants <laughs> so, to have a sequel. Uh, yes, and also a video game <laughs> yeah. by the sound of it. <laughs> Uh, oh, Lambs, Longs, Longs Legend. Yeah, Longs it's, Legends. it's got a little uh, walkway, like a little bridge that you go oh, over, and little like yes, fountain. I know it. I know it very well. Yeah. Uh yes, I do remember it. I remember being in it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I must admit, I can't quite remember. But us both being at the same the time. But I was quite peckish at the time. I was probably focusing more on the food. Well, that's, that's fair like, enough. That's, that's fair just, enough. I'm just saying. Put it out there. Yeah. I mean, they do say you can probably tell the quality of a Chinese restaurant based on how many Chinese people are eating in there. And the yeah. fact that we two and our entourages were basically the only people yes. in there. Yes, there's a good sign. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. And there's another one as well. When they, then you, yeah, there's, a, there's a restaurant close to me, which is a Sichuan um, uh, restaurant, mm. which, is in, uh, which is superb. But yeah, again, it's, it's entirely, um, the entire clientele is Chinese. But not only that, they're Sichuan Chinese. <laughs> And they and they all speak in the Sichuan dialect, and there's a lot of dishes there which I have no idea. Yeah, just point what and they are, just what they're having. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I always think that methodology though kind of falls down if you go to a restaurant in China, because surely they're yes. all populated by Chinese people. Then that's true. Yeah, how do you make your choice? Well, that is true. And there's and and having I've been to China last year, when we did travel to lots of different provinces, there are areas where you, I mean, yeah, you just have to kind of. You know, take the plunge really mm. because um, we tried uh, some. There's different kinds of cuisines I've never tried before from the Dao people and from the Bao people. And, and you uh, don't want to get those if mixed you up. You get the Dao and the Bao. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's radically, radically different. But they were quite uh, fantastically different. They were. I mean, it was. We were in Yunnan province, which is in the southwest of China, and one of the dishes seemed, and I think probably was. Uh, made from pine needles. Ah. It was a salad of pine needles, and I and it sounds like something you just 
you know, like some sweepings on, <laughs> sort of, you know, like kind of round about the 29th of December. Yeah, I mean, it may well have been, but it was, <laughs> oh, we've got some English people in, give them the sweepings. Give them the sweepings, they love that. <laughs> yeah, if you, could, if you could put one of those little chocolate uh, decorations in as well and some uh, <laughs> yeah. some old um, sausage rolls, they'd love it. No, but it was... It was really quite fantastically different, and uh, and I, and I have to say, having that's having uh, being a great lover of Chinese food as well. Mm. It was something very odd. Well, it's, it's massively different, isn't it? The the actual Chinese food from the anglicised yeah. version that we have over here. Absolutely. I had a yeah. girlfriend who went to China a few years ago, and she was horrified when she ordered what she thought was chicken, but then it was just chicken's feet. Ah. And yeah, I mean, there's not a lot. I think to get out of chicken's feet. I don't know. I've had chicken's feet, and um, they're well. Uh, you say, yeah, you're right. There's not a lot on them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, unless you're particularly into claws. But yeah. But there's, a, you know, with the right spice, there's a certain kind of, I don't know, a sort of strange appeal. Uh, Tendony, ankly goodness. Yes, something. <laughs> toes. Yeah. Chicken's toes. <laughs> well, I think this one's still got a bit of corn trapped in its claw. Oh, look at that. Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I would have it. You know, on a regular basis. Mm. But you know, it's, it's it's now and again. You've got to try something a bit different. Yeah, I watched you uh, on BBC News talking about your your new, your new show. Yeah. And uh, you actually mentioned uh, liberating a Chinese owl. That's right. Yeah. Well, and this was uh, in a Chinese restaurant mm. uh, in in the south um, east uh, of China uh, in Guangdong province, and uh, it was. Seen, I mean, I can only imagine it was like a, a trophy restaurant sort of thing, you know, where you go and you, you can order some exotic creature, and and I think there's a there's this is very common um, across China and across Asia as well. That is where local businessmen trying to in, uh, impress a, a party official or something will take them there and order something enti- not of any culinary <laughs> value, but you know, just purely for the pose value, mm. you know, oh, I can cook a lizard. Yeah. You know, that's how much money I've got. I can, you know, anything you want—a civet cat, a, you know, a salamander, <laughs> you know, a cormorant, anything you want. Spoken like a true gourmand as well. Yeah, that's right. yeah it was, yeah. You know, and 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 this is this is I imagine the reason why there was an owl there mm. on the menu, and it was in you know in the in a cage in the front of the restaurant. You know, there's always those sort of the tanks. Very often Chinese restaurants have you know seafood, yeah, so you can pick one, and then. Next to where all the tanks were were cages, and there you could just pick an animal. And there were all these different creatures in there. Some of them I don't even know what they were. They were like, Are you sure this wasn't just a zoo? It sounds very much to me. You know, I know it does sound like <laughs> it does sound like I just, you know, had a bit, maybe some, you know, too many arrows or something. You were the and, presumptuous uh, Englishman who came in and bought the zoo animals. How dare you? How dare you? And they're going, no, this is a zoo. You know? <laughs> and um, yeah, that's right. No, it, well, you know, there were people eating, so I assumed it was. I mean, I think it was a rest. We did eat there as well. I mean, we we actually we didn't eat anything from this from the top row, as it were. We had uh, we had <laughs> the animals you know, covered in plastic. Yeah, that's right. But uh, yes, we 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 had a sort of more traditional Chinese lunch, but then. Afterwards, we haggled with them because we thought I, I, well, something. I just thought I can't walk away from an from this amazing creature, which is just sitting there waiting to be eaten. I just thought, is this not a fate that should befall such a such a creature? So, um, so we did haggle with them a little bit, and then we we bought it, <laughs> and uh, and it was so we bought an owl. Now what? You know, <laughs> yeah. that was a that was a real you know that was it's a, one of those when you only think of the stage one of the plan. Yeah, stage two. Stage stage one was we we get the owl and we walk out of the restaurant triumphant. Yes, 
and then and, then, and that's as far as I thought. And then, uh, what are we doing? now? What? And uh, so we had, it was sellotaped up in a box, and we got into a cab and tried to. <laughs> You sellotaped an owl. Sellotaped an owl up and put it in a box. We didn't sellotape it. They did. They sort of thought that was what we wanted. That's how know? an owl comes. That's how it comes. Do you want it packed? Take away. <laughs> yeah. Do you want it closed or open? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, take away. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, um, and then we had to sort of, you know, point to various pictures of forests in a... So you got to get in a taxi a with a sellotaped yeah. owl. Sellotaped owl And explain owl in a box. to a confused taxi driver that... We wanted to release it. Yeah, yeah. We we're here on a very small conservation program. Release, <laughs> yes, right. just one owl at a time. Yeah, and uh, by cab. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, is this for owls who like have a terminal illness? Yeah. You've got to make their dream come true. <laughs> That's right. Yes, it's a make a wish for an owl. Yeah. Uh, and the owl said to me, he "Wanted to be released." So. It was it was a very odd uh, conversation we had. Well, it wasn't a conversation. It was a lot of pointing. You know, there was a lot of with pointing the going on with the, the taxi driver. We were trying to find a picture of a wood, you know, a forest or a wooded area. <laughs> Is that uh, not in your point and uh, point and ask phrase book that you get? Where you just oh, point a picture. Oh yeah, that would be brilliant. This is the I want the wood for the owl release. The, uh, yes. Got, yeah. Wouldn't it be brilliant if there was a photograph somebody releasing an owl? <laughs> yeah. Just for your conservation I've got, section. I've got this puff in here. Do you know near a cliff, a cliff nearby that I can just yeah. release him? I know. So it was. It took a while, and um, but yeah, we did it. We managed it in the end. Incredible. So, um, Do you know? I had a, a similar, not ish, experience. I was in America recently, yeah. and there's a seafood restaurant where they had uh, a claw grabber game, like you have a, a sort of seaside amusement arcade. Oh right, yeah. But for lobsters, oh right, it was live lobsters in a tank that you grabbed with a claw for the. For the price of $3, you could try your luck. Now, oh. if you've ever done a seaside grabber game, oh, you'll know no, no, intrinsically flawed because the, the, the claw doesn't work properly. No purchase. Yeah. No purchase. No purchase. But the, at least it's an inanimate object. When you try and grab a lobster... Oh, no. just moves. Yeah, of course. Of course. I spent yeah. all my holiday money <laughs> trying to grab a lobster that just took a step backwards and then it was yeah. gone. I had all these dreams of being like Homer Simpson, have my own pinchy yeah. that I could bring around with me, a lobster <laughs> on my shoulder. Nothing. No, no the lobster's looking at... I can't believe they fell for this. Yeah. <laughs> I bet the lobsters are cocky ones. They just they just lean out of the way. Just, yeah. you know, they don't have to move. Oh, just, oh, oh. no. Better no. look next time. And, uh, and also, you're never going to get enough grip in one for a lobster, surely. Yeah. There's nothing. There's, not, there's barely enough grip for some flimsy, re- cuddly toy. You know, never mind her. You'd have to have a lot of cooperation I from the lobster, not. really. You'd have to angle himself just right and then really want to get out. The lobster might just cling on. You know, yeah. just to sort of, just to tease you. Yeah. You go, oh, you got me. And then just <laughs> yeah, exactly. sort of, you know, let go. Loser. And, <laughs> yeah. And well, fair enough. I read, I read a scurrilist, maybe, or maybe even not, a report about lobsters saying they're immortal. <laughs> and uh, Who so was that, this written by? This was... Because <laughs> I've eaten of, lobster. I don't want to think he's still alive. Know, this is, well, no, clearly not. But this is one of those ones where they say, you know, a hundred things you didn't know. And one of them is lobsters are immortal. And uh, and um, and and I and I thought this can't be true. Surely we'd have known about this. This written by, by a now. teenage lobster. Lobsters. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a very high opinion of himself. Yeah, that's right. He'd read Rider Haggard. You know, yeah. the lobster that danced in the blue flame. Um, <laughs> well, uh, no, but it means what? It, what? It, I think you know, if you extrapolate a bit, lobsters do live a very long life. And they don't seem to age. I think that's what they were saying. You know, they don't age. They actually get stronger and fitter and more, uh, what should we call it, fertile. So they're the Benjamin Buttons? 
they are. of the sea yeah. life world. Yeah, they're sort of like the rest of us, you know, shuffling inexorably uh, to oblivion. <laughs> but uh, lobsters seem to be going the other way. They're Only. getting stronger, you know, more fertile. Here's another fact that I yeah. learned recently. Brontosaurus never existed. No? Yeah, absolutely true. The really? guy who dis- discovered Brontosaurus, he found a skeleton without a head yeah. and then found a head a few miles down the road and thought, well, oh. I probably just rolled off. Uh, miles and put them together and created a dinosaur which was never real, never real. and then called it Brontosaurus and for years and years and years people thought wow but they're actually two different oh. species of dinosaur just put together for put convenience together. God that's a swizz isn't it I know and I what know. was it and the, how did he come up with a name then was that just as I would buy convenience like or something lizard. maybe it came to him like a flash of lightning inspiration I was like I don't know that's Oh, Fanciful explanation on my is, part. That's a bombshell. Yeah, I know, Bill. How are you going to deal with that fact that is now? A real proper, but oh, I've years. Yeah, I've sighting the brontosaurus. Brontosauruses? No, I'm afraid not. Didn't exist. I know, but oh. I mean, so one of the things that interests me about like well, your interest. Well, yeah, no, don't say. Don't that. say that. Yeah, because we all know that the Easter Bunny and Jesus put together that Santa, <laughs> right? <That's>, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. What are your interests uh, when you? kind of into sort of like natural history and yeah. and kind of the flora and fauna of the world. Yeah. And uh, kind of, you did a brilliant show all about your favourite Victorian uh, explorer and ecologist and proponent of natural selection. Yes. Uh, and it was, it was uh, I'm a big Charles Darwin fan, but right, yeah. the, the two of them came well, together very, very yeah, well. That's right. But I mean, I it was, I mean, I was uh, travelling in Indonesia uh, as I tend to do quite a bit, and um, and uh, looking for another animal to release. For, yes, right. Anything at all, right? Uh, you come on, get out, <laughs> gerbil out. And um, and it was a, it was I was travelling in an area of of eastern Indonesia called Wallacea, mm. and that's where I first came across Alfred Russell Wallace, the name. And it it was this was about sort of fifteen odd years ago, and I and I just became fascinated in this character and this where he, how he managed to get to Indonesia, what he did, what he achieved. And the more I read about him, the more this story unfolded, this extraordinary life that he'd lived. You know, he'd you know, come from this sort of quite a humble background and then he'd you know, managed to get himself uh, up to um, the Amazon with his friend and they did a trip around the Amazon collecting specimens and then his, all the specimens were lost and then he still carried on. He still wanted to find this... This uh, this reason, this solution, this the answer to why there were so many species, and yes, it was a ama- and, and and walking in these footsteps was a was a, a fantastic experience, mm. you know, and uh, so yeah, I mean yes, he was he was he you know he he and Darwin, I mean there's a lot of there's a lot written about Wallace and Darwin, and a lot of it is all is all very scurrilous stuff about the kind of who came up with evolution first, yeah. was it Dar- you know people say oh Darwin and Wallace had nothing to do it, and then there's a, there's the Wallace camp which say that actually Wallace's theory of evolution was far more you know consistent with what we now consider to be evolution. So you know it's a big old hot potato, but the 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 thing I find is very touching about it is that. Wallace and Darwin became friends. Yeah, and, well, they collaborated, you know, didn't they, and presented yeah. theories together in the end. Yeah. What I think is really interesting mm. about your love for these characters is that they're they're men of substance. They're people who actually did something with their lives. And yes. in the Victorian era, era, they did actually become celebrities. Yeah. Uh, I'm a fan of the Strand magazine, which is where Sherlock Holmes was first published. Oh, yeah. And if, each week it had a section on celebrities of the day, and it was scientists, it was bishops, yep. it was MPs, it was the occasional billiards player. You know, people, <laughs> men who actually were doing things in the world and I think it kind of ties in quite nicely with one of the things that you bulk against 
in mm. your new show, Absolutely. Go on, Peddler, about, about sort of celebrity and the nature of the ridiculousness of it now. Yeah, exactly right. And 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 as you say, you know, um, I mean, even uh, you know, it, I mean, you know, you, you quite rightly mentioned. I mean, the Victorian era was very much about that. Was about was about, I mean, Wallace, you know, be- became what we would now consider a celebrity. He became, you know, very very well known. He probably towards the end of the nineteenth century, he was probably one of the most famous people in the world to, mm. due to his. You know his his scientific you know uh, discoveries and his papers and his and, um, uh, the, a lot of the laws and the the books that he'd written. But yes, I mean, even when I was a kid, there was growing up there were there were astronauts that attained celebrity. There were explorers. There were people, as you say, men of substance, people of substance, and. It's one of the things I talk about in the show. Well, one of the things I was actually one of the reasons the sort of the the kind of spur to start writing the show, you know, um, initially when you know, it was almost like you know, a year and a half ago now, and that was the nature of of modern celebrity, the kind of the disposable nature of it, this ephemeral nature of it, and mm. how we sort of we crave it. We you know that the, 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 there's a there's a, a desire for the new, the, the, the latest one, and it's all very disposable. People are disposable. Oh, you were like them for a bit, right? Oh, bored of them. Let's have another one. Oh, what do they go? Have they got any flaws? We can like anything wrong with them? Right, okay, they say, oh, they're quite funny. They'll sell a few magazines because there's so much to fill. There's so many magazines. There's so many social media sites. You know, we need more and more of this stuff, and 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 it's a law of diminishing returns because each time you have a you add another person to the list of roster of people that are supposedly in the news there's less of them there's less to fill you know mm. so it's like oh they could just be like they like nice handbags or they you know it's literally almost as like what kind of dresses they wear or what kind of suits they wear or who they've been seen with and rather than an achievement attainment you know. But can anyone deny that Alfred Russell Wallace would have looked better with a glowing tan and his own range of condoms? Well, I think he probably did have a tan. Aiding natural selection. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Actually, that's quite a good... Yeah, yeah. the Wallace. The Wallace collection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's actually a museum, though. They might have issue Yeah, with maybe. <laughs> yeah. Compared to prophylactics. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah. Bill, it's been lovely to chat to you. Where can people see your show? Because you're all over, aren't you? I am all over uh, it. Uh, I start the tour uh, this Saturday in uh, the Lowry uh, in oh, Salford, Salford in Manchester. Nice. And uh, and then uh, I'll do two shows there. And then the tour sort of wends its way all around uh, the country from then on. And you can find all the details out on my website. Incredible. Well, uh, come along. Go see Bill Bailey uh, pedal more of his qualms. Yes, and, uh, and and songs as well. We didn't really talk about them, but there'll be lots of songs in there too. There's a lot of music, you know, uh, reggae, Downton Abbey, um, and a dubstep hymn. So, you know, something for everyone. Everything you'd expect. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks a lot, Bill. You're welcome. Dad. From one man who's used to liberating owls to another who finds it a lot more difficult to get close to birds, here's Andrew Lawrence. Okay, I'm joined on the Dave Wheatley this time by Andrew Lawrence. Hello. Hello, hi. I'm good. Uh, what? I'm good? I just assumed that you said, how are you? Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, take it as, a, as if I said, how are you? I meant it. I yeah, genuinely it was care. implied within hello, wasn't it? I'd, I'd love to know about your well-being. Tell me everything. <laughs> yeah, well, this is a great start. This is how I like to begin conversations with an awkward fumbling. But are um, you all right, though? It sounds like you might be... I think I think I am. Very difficult Struggling question with things. to answer. <laughs> really? Because uh, this early at the start of the interview. An underlying tension already yeah. in my voice. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just... Uh, yeah, I, I had a situation like that actually the other day. You know, when someone says... Someone's working in like, you know, a shop or a position 
and they say something which is relevant to you but not to them. I was getting on a plane and uh, the woman who checked my ticket said, oh, uh, thank you, sir, have a nice flight. And I was like, you too. She wasn't getting on the plane. But yeah, it's, it's kind a of classic, like, the you too, yeah, you yeah. too, whatever people say. Uh... We're so indro- indoctrinated to say certain stock responses. It's like that classic British thing where someone does something like to you, like barges into you and you say, oh, sorry, as if there's some kind of, you know, responsibility on your part. Yeah, but the worst thing is, I wish I could, I, I never seem to address it afterwards, I just let it go. Yeah, exactly. Just walk off. It'd yeah. be all right if I said, sorry, I shouldn't have said that, that was me. That was completely the wrong expression, wasn't it? We could have a laugh about it. But no, yeah. I just, it's out there and then just head down, walk in the opposite direction. Yeah. I think, yeah. I, well, thank you for, for just glossing over the facts of what I did at the start of that. Well, we've all done it. Don't, well, don't feel bad about it. It's okay. Let it go now. We're here. We're in the interview. We're in yeah. the moment. We're all safe. Let's it's keep a safe it together. environment. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I guess in terms of the way that we've started, it's kind of like a similar style in, in to what you've been noted for. It's that kind of slightly self-deprecating, over-analyzing of your, your life and your existence and the things go, that go on around you. Was that ever a conscious decision or is it just what came up when you started to do stand-up? Oh, literally just anything I can think of that I think is <laughs> going to get a laugh. That's, that's what I, I talk about on stage and it ends up being construed by people as a, a kind of um, a fairly miserable tirade. Yeah. All the things I hate and all the things I'm angry about. And um, maybe it's a good outlet for that. It's yeah. kind of therapy in a way. Therapy is very expensive. For. Much is better it? to have people yeah. pay you to listen. I think I'd probably need it if I wasn't doing stand-up comedy. I feel like I'm, I'm abusing people's trust. They paid for a ticket to come and see my show, and I'm just letting out all my problems and anguish on them. And, yeah. um, this, is, this is what I do. I'll I, I let all, out all the anguish and, and, and pain I'm feeling on stage, then everyone leaves the end feeling thoroughly miserable about their lives, and I leave feeling pretty good about myself. Yeah. And also with their money in my pocket. Sorry about that, but come and see me on tour. It'll be, <laughs> it'll be fun. Sounds like you've struck upon comedy gold, the kind of thing that people have spent their whole lives uh, trying to alchemize, and yet you've got it. The, the let's get them in, bums on seats, kind of leave them feeling a bit agitated and ill at ease, but you're good. You're good at the end of it. Yeah, I've, I've kind of... Uh, it's, it's, it's been an odd thing, stand-up comedy, for me. It's sort of... Um, oh, and um, without... I, 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 it's sort of, without wanting to sound smug, it's sort of, it, it sort of happened to me rather than me making it happen when I started kind of 2003. It was all, it's probably a lot easier than it should have been, but there again at the time it wasn't, there wasn't so much of it on TV and it wasn't, there wasn't so much money and it was kind of just everyone trying to do it. 10 years ago, we were all people with problems, really, <laughs> and people with um, probably mental health issues. And uh, um, it was kind of easy to, to kind of... Um, well, it was easy to progress, I think. These days, there's so much money and there's so much TV work for comedians. It, it attracts much more functional, normal, ambitious, educated, yeah. successful people who are far more articulate and together. So it's become harder in many ways to... Uh, you have to get better, you have to up your game. Well, you yeah. said that very articulately, which I think kind of undermines slightly the point that you make. You are, I think this is part of like, you know, I guess the way that it helps you to, to rationalise a weird career though, isn't it? I mean, that's, 
it seems to me that if you were kind of self-deprecate, <laughs> I can see you sort of scrunching up your brow a bit. But I mean, if you're self-deprecating, otherwise, you know, you have people come along on a night out and laugh at you. And that's a really great feeling. So you've got to find somewhere to keep a bit grounded, I suppose. No? Yeah, well, you, it's inevitably you're arrogant if you do stand-up comedy. <laughs> you can't help but be arrogant. And um, I, I, but it's um, you know, there's everyone's got those two aspects of their, com- their personality. And there's a self-loathing there as well. But I'm definitely. I mean, I don't think people. I hope people wouldn't think I was arrogant in in real life. But there's definitely a part of me like I'm no good at apologising for anything. Like um. I left my bag in a bus aisle or something, an old person tripped over it. I'll be like, I probably shouldn't have left that there, but to be fair, you should be dead by now. It's still there, come on. <laughs> and um, but yeah, so I think you have to be pretty, pretty arrogant, but it's because you know, how who would expect to get paid for standing on stage talking nonsense and trying to make people laugh? Who would um, think to themselves, yeah, I'm so charismatic and entertaining, people should pay for the privilege of my company. It's not, <laughs> it's sort of... Um, Have you started charging for dinner parties yet, or is that a... For dinner, I wouldn't, oh, I couldn't, um, oh, I, I'm not a dinner party man. <laughs> I'm not, just um, somewhat lacking in social skills and any sort of, um, I, I feel like I'm retreating a little bit from humanity. I think um, I'd avoid them at all costs. I don't, you, you sort of, um, that's the thing with old friends is when you haven't, seen them for a while you meet I find a lot of people I grew up with kind of you meet up and they've changed a little bit they've become a sort of um strange middle class parody of themselves oh do you want to come to my dinner party no not even if I was starving in the gutter but thanks for the invite and <laughs> just and then you find yourself at places where dinner parties you think oh, I don't know I have anything in common with these people oh, these quails they're scrumptious oh, but, oh I don't belong here in any sense um <laughs> but uh more of a chicken's egg man I'm more of a sort of, um, uh, you know, microwave meal for one. <laughs> I'm have a cry in front of the television. That's it. That's me. Oh, I'm turning this bleak now. This is it? Me, aren't I? Sounds like a lonely heart, sad this. Oh, <laughs> in many ways it is. Come and find me. If love's out there, I'm here for you. I'm, I'm looking, but you should be looking as well. And I'm, I'm right here. I'm a uh, moderately successful man. I'm, I'm, I'm working, you know, I'm earning... Um, a, a, um, a reasonably, a reasonable, if um, precarious, uh, living. Um, I can, you know, I'm here. We can have good times together. Come and find me, but only if you've got um, a face and, uh, you know, just. Um, and if you shower, that's it. That's my requirements. That's it. <laughs> and that's a propensity for weeping. I think those things together. Yeah, we can weep together. Come and weep with me. We'll have a weeping evening. And, <laughs> um, oh, it'd be so much fun. Come to the tour. It's it's everywhere. It's I'm going. Um, uh, come to Bath because there's loads of seats there. It's 450 seats, and I will <laughs> never get close to selling all of them. So I need you there. Come to Bath wherever you are. Travel to Bath for that one. Where else am I going? Um, I mean, you are going all over. It's almost yeah. 50 dates, isn't it? Yeah, it's 50. I think we're going to add a few more. Where else? Um, Hull and uh, Leeds. Big up for Hull. And, um, That's my nearest hometown. Yeah, it's it's good good for comedy. They're good, great comedy crowds actually. I've always had nice gigs in, fun gigs in Hull, and um, for some reason it's weird. Some cities work better than others for gigs, and mm. um, yeah, and uh, Leeds, or Brighton, I think I'm doing pretty soon, and um, just getting all over the place. Uh, so um, this is the no escape. There is no escape tour. <laughs> yeah, there is there is no escape, and um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sort of. Um, I think. Um, I mean, you've got pretty much blanket coverage of the UK. In that sense, quite a literal no escape. 
message yeah. for the audience? It's, it's, it's everywhere. And um, I would advise people to have a look on my website um, uh, if they're interested in coming. AndrewLawrenceComedy.co.uk. There we go. There's, <laughs> we've done the plug. That's just painful for me. It's probably as painful as you, for you <laughs> as it was for me. But I have to. Um, I don't want to be homeless. So buy a ticket, come and tour. And they'll be weeping, as we've suggested earlier in the interview. It might just be... The promise Weeping. of microwave meals as well? Does that still stand? Um, if I can make enough money to keep myself in boxes of tissues for weeping, not for anything else, <laughs> I don't want to go down that road, um, and microwave meals, I'm very happy. Well, happy is a strong word. It's, not, it's a very relative term, isn't it? I can keep off the medication. That's, yeah. that's, that's more, more And that's what the accurate. centre's advised. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, Andrew, look, thank you for coming down and chatting to us. You too. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Andrew Lawrence. You too. Well, there you have it, the end of another Entertaining Day Weekly, if I do say so myself, and I do, because those are two of my favourite guests, Bill Bailey and Andrew Lawrence, two of the most mirthful men I think that we've had on the show. Just pure joy, apart from Andrew Lawrence, because there's a, a slice of despair in there too, but that's what makes him excellent. We'll be back with more of the same next week. In the meantime, do check us out on iTunes and tweet us at join underscore Dave and me, of course, at Ben Shires. Until then, as always, toodles doodles. The Dave Weekly is a Pixie production for Dave, hosted by me, Ben Shires, and produced by Joel Porter.